Come on now, New Spring family. Don't stop celebrating. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Woo. Well, um, I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to go home. Uh, you can take a seat if you aren't already seated at every campus. My, look at my hand. Whoo. The presence of God is here. And I don't just mean here in Anderson. I mean at every campus across the state. Listen, we get to celebrate baptism here a lot at New Spring, but I hope we never miss out that every time a mouth professes Jesus as Lord, that God is letting us in on a miracle. He is letting us in on how heaven is rejoicing when someone professes Jesus as Lord. He's letting us in on, this is, hey, this is Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. As he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey and people cried out, Hosanna, which means save, we get to see the fulfillment of that week after week after week at New Spring. And I need just one more time for every campus to thank Jesus out loud. Come on. forgot what I was talking about for a second. Um, well, hey, family, and new to the family. Um, we got a lot to get into today. We're actually going to talk about baptism a little more later in the day. Um, but if you're just joining us or if you need to catch up, we're in the, I get the privilege of concluding our We Believe series today. And in this, why we've been committing to the series is because we want to ground our faith in absolute truth right? We don't want it to, to go with the tides of culture, with the winds of just whatever the world is saying or my own feelings are saying is true. We want to set our feet on the firm foundation of scripture, which is why we've been committing to the series, which is why we've been committing to these living room chats, which release every Sunday at 6 p.m. We have one more uh, tonight that's going to release that you need to check out. But we want you to make it in your faith and we want to make it together. So, so far, just to catch us up, we've talked about the Bible, setting our theology, the story of scripture, heaven and hell, spiritual gifts, and sexuality. So just a few topics. And today, this week, I get to talk about one of my favorite things in the world. I get to talk about the church today, what we believe about the church, uh, one another, us. Come on. So we're going to jump right into scripture today, if you're cool with it, um, in Ephesians 2. And if y'all are ready, I need you to say Amen. Yes, gosh, y'all are here. Let's go. Okay, Ephesians 2. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, whom I like to lovingly refer to as Papa Paul. Don't know why. He might have a problem with it when I get to heaven, but for now, it's a term of endearment. I call him Papa Paul. So Papa Paul has written this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's specifically addressing um, how Christ has worked a mighty miracle in uniting two groups of people that Christ has united the Jew and the Gentile. Now, I don't need to give you a whole history lesson to just tell you that it is a complete miracle that a Jew and a Gentile would go to church together because they didn't even used to interact. You know, to, uh, to a Jew, a Gentile was a dog who just needed to be refrained from. And to a, a Gentile, the Jew, you know, they, had, they were lofty in their intellect and in their concept, and so they just, they didn't... Convene with each other. But here Paul is telling us what the blood of Christ can do for two groups of people like that. And I'm going to read this slow because it's like a good meal. You know what I mean? I grew up with two older brothers. If you didn't eat fast, you didn't eat. But this is the kind of meal that you need to savor. 
So I'm going to read this for us in Ephesians 2, 14 through 19. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace. And in one body, his own body, by the way, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by way of one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now look how just one more version puts verse 19. So, you're not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. Whew, that is rich. So what does this mean? Well, in light of that, in scripture like Colossians 3, Galatians 4, Jesus on the cross and John 19, here's what we believe about the church. So you can write this down, you can get out the app, uh, whatever you need to do, but this is what we believe about the church. We believe the church is not a place we attend, but a family we join. The church is not a place we attend on Sundays. It is a family that we have been committed to and will commit to every single day. Now, let me be clear. There are many things we believe about the church. The content of the church could be an entire series that we go through. But, I mean, you know, the Bible refers to the church as the bride. It refers to the church as the body, the beacon on a hill. But it seemed right to us in the Holy Spirit to talk about today how the church is a family. Now, there are many aspects of this family, but specifically, the things I want to hit today are how uh, this family is made up of moms and dads, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. All right? So, my moms and dads, fellow sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters. Are you ready to get into this message today? All right, let's get it. All right. The first thing we believe about this family, how to relate in this family, is we believe the church family is led by spiritual mothers and fathers. We believe the church family is led by spiritual mothers and fathers. This is exactly one of the things that the Apostle Paul was writing back to in the church in Corinth. Here's Papa Paul again. I'm telling y'all, he was out here dadding everybody. All right, he was like, the goat of church planning, goat for my elder generation is greatest of all time. All right, he was the goat of church planning. So he plants a church and then he stays there for about a year, year and a half, maybe a few months, helps him get started, and then he goes on to plant another church. Well, he had been in Corinth for about a year and a half, then he goes off to somewhere else and he gets word that there's some division among the family. All right, there's some fighting going on. Now, there were many things going on, but one of the main points of division was after Paul left, some other leaders came in as they should have, some other spiritual mothers and fathers to help guide the church, direct the church, teach the church. And there arose some debate over who the best leader and communicator was. So, you know, there'd be people like, who's speaking at home church today? Oh, him? 
think I'm gonna be sick tomorrow. I don't. I just don't. I don't think I want to go. I just don't get much when they go speak. Uh, you like Paul? How do you like Paul? I mean, he's smart and all, but his he's confusing when he talks. I like this preacher better. Aren't y'all glad that doesn't happen in the church anymore today? So Paul challenges them. He's like, listen, y'all, this ain't about one figure or another. He's like, I'm just trying to serve Jesus beside you. This is all about him. I'm not correcting you as to shame you. I'm not correcting you out of any spite. I'm correcting you as a loving dad. So look, to what, look, look what he says as he's correcting them in 1 Corinthians 4, 15 through 16. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul had no interest in being a cool guide or guru that delivered a beautiful message. They wrote down the tweetable phrases on scrolls and talked about it the rest of the week. He wanted more skin in the game than that, more responsibility in their lives. So he says, I didn't come to be a cool teacher, I came to be your dad. So I'm gonna correct you like a dad. I'm gonna love you like a dad and I'm not gonna leave things unchecked like a dad. So there are a few specific people under this, the church being led by spiritual mothers and fathers that I wanna talk about. The first group of people that I want to address in this section, I wanna honor the older generations in our church. And I want to personally apologize to you if you have ever felt overlooked, undervalued, or undermined as a part of this family. You, to me and to us and to our leadership, you are our prized possession in this house. Valuable to this house. A gift from God to this house. You know, Hebrews 11 says to go back and look at the saints of old and learn from their faith. Y'all, I don't want to have to look that far back. Because there are older generations in this house, we need your weathered faith. The moments that you cried out to God, your prayer life, the moments that you rejoiced, the moments that you wept, and the moments that you clung to God anyway. I believe one reason why God has been pleased to remain faithful to this church, Miss Jane, is because you have remained faithful to this church. We need your faith. I've been fed by your faith. Every campus, you may be, listen, I know I'm young. And you may look at a stage and think, all those people are younger than me. What can I do? We need you. Please raise your hand and say, I'm ready to help because we need your help. Us young guns need you to call us out. So know that the door is open for you. We love you. And the other group of people that I want to address, and I want to press in here, are the people in this house where it's time to start stepping up and being spiritual mothers and fathers. Caleb just talked about great opportunities for the weekend coming up in July. You now don't have to worry about, well, I can't go serve for a week because it's all the way in Daytona and I don't have any more vacation. Now, open your house for the weekend. Let a fuse group leader come in. Start revival in your living room like Caleb just talked about and see if you don't get to be a part of a miracle. And I'll just say this too. Maybe, maybe if you're bored in the church, Maybe it's because you're still, maybe if the messages don't hit like they used to, like you leave every week thinking, I just didn't get much out of that one. Maybe, just maybe, it's because we're still coming in like kids ready to be spoon-fed when it is time to come in ready to help prepare the meal. We need you. 
I'm telling you, I went through a big season of being bored in the church. I remember I was a, I was a volunteer at Fuse and would come into Fuse and be like, oh, these kids are a lot. And I'm kind of bored with it. Then God intersected my life with a few young girls who needed a mom. And you know what? I ain't been bored one day since. Get involved, boredom, bye. We need you. Listen, this is the age of information overload. Podcasts, YouTube, great worship music, anything. You can click of a button. You can go get any message about anything at any time. And yet, more young people are leaving the church in droves than ever. Why? Because those things cannot take the place of a spiritual mother and father. They need you. And I would suggest that probably you need them. So get involved. Become a parent in this house. Don't come on Sundays and just punch a spiritual time card. Come in and get some skin in the game. All right, everybody okay? Cool, because the next one's awesome. All right? Now that that wasn't awesome, this is just, no, hits different. All right. The second thing we believe about this family is we believe the church family is full of beloved sons and daughters. If you love being a child of God, can I just get an amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I love being his kid. That's what we're celebrating today when we just celebrated baptism. We're celebrating that people are saying, I became a son and daughter. So you can write this down. We believe baptism is our public announcement that we have joined the family of God. When people just pronounced Jesus as Lord, they weren't just saying, I'm joining a faith. They were saying, I'm joining a family. That's why we raise them out of the waters to the cries of their family members because it's one of our shared experiences. You know how family members have shared experiences? This is ours. I can remember when I was baptized out in the parking lot at New Spring to the cries of my friends in like 105 degree heat. It was awesome. It's our shared experience that we get to go through together just like Jesus When he was raised out of the waters, when he was baptized, and the voice of the Father boomed from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When you are raised out of that water, that same declaration is proclaimed over you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. And speaking of Jesus' baptism, we think the way Jesus was baptized should probably like have a say in the way that we baptized. So just quite practically, we believe Baptism is by immersion and after salvation. By immersion, meaning you fully going under, but then you coming back up. And after salvation, after you have pronounced Jesus as Lord. This symbolizes our union with Christ. Did you know that you have been, if you've professed Jesus as Christ, that you've been unified with him? Which means you've been unified to his life. You've been unified to his mission. And you've been unified to his family. When you profess Jesus as Lord, go under the waters and come back out, you're saying, I've been raised to a new life and I am now a son and daughter. And as a son and daughter church, did you know that God the Father enjoys you the same way that he enjoys Christ? Somebody really needs to hear this this morning. As a son and a daughter, when the Father looks at you, He looks at you with the same affection, with the same tears in his eyes, with the same L-O-V-E love that he feels when he looks at Jesus. You will never be more loved than you are right now. You will never be less loved than you are right now because you're his kid. 
His love is not waning like the world's. It cannot diminish and he will not exchange it or take it back. His love belongs to you. And if we understand that, if we understand what it means to be loved like that, then it'll be our pleasure to do this next thing. Now, I'm going to preface this next thing because it has the Christian S word in it. But it's good. Everybody's nervous. What is the Christian S word? It's my first time to church. You know, you're like, here it is. When you know you're a beloved son and daughter, then it's our pleasure to stay in the house and submit to the house. Submit is the Christian S word, by the way. When we know how loved we are, it's our pleasure to stay in the house and submit to the house. Sons and daughters, for the rest of your days, stay in the house, submit to house. You move cities, find a house, stay in the house, submit to the house. You have genuine church hurt, which I know can happen. Find a house, stay in the house, submit to the house. Listen, I get it. People are people and we will get hurt. But I'd rather have wounds and let the healer heal them than to identify with my wound for the rest of my life instead of the healer and the family that he purchased for me. Stay in the house, submit to the house. This is, this is our joy and pleasure. Because here's the myth about submission, that it's some kind of restriction. But submission is not restriction, it's protection. I've never felt as protected as I feel in this house. With my big brothers covering me. With my sisters surrounding me, right before I came on stage, a group of sisters came around me and prayed for me. Submission is not restriction, it's protection. Control is not peace. Submission is. Control is a myth anyway. But submission is peace. Here's the thing about submission too. Here's the key. This is true no matter how old you are. This isn't just a, a lesson for the few students or the rally students or the wives. This is a call to the whole church, to the whole family, the call to submit. Because here's the thing, the minute that we say we are too good to submit to authority is the minute that we say we're better than Jesus. Because Jesus submitted every single day to the Father, fully God Fully man, submitted every single day to the Father. Why? Because he knew how much the Father loved him and that he was trustworthy. Look at what John 5, 19 through 20 says. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly. I'm going to start saying that. I'm, when I really believe something, I'm going to start saying truly twice. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Jesus Christ. Think about this. Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who is right now making the earth his footstool said, I'll submit to the Father. Because I know that's where protection is. And I know that's where peace is. The same is true for us. Stay in the house. Submit to the house. I'm not saying don't call out the house sometimes. I'm not saying don't be honest. I'm not saying don't challenge. I'm saying don't just talk about it side by side with friends and say, yeah, we should all leave. Go to someone who can do something about it and then submit to the house. 
because that's what sons and daughters do. And then the last thing we believe about the family today, this beautiful family, we got moms and dads, we're walking around like sons and daughters as a kid. By the way, the height of Christian theology is probably becoming more and more childlike, just proposing that. We believe the church family is built up by committed brothers and sisters. Committed brothers and sisters. Y'all are my brothers and sisters. If you're like, I don't know how I feel about that, it's too late. I'm committed, I'm in, you're my brother, you're my sister, we're family. And I can't tell y'all how many things I wrote in this section. Like, how many times I typed and retyped and deleted and started getting mad and like, I don't think... God's mad right now. I don't think he wants me to preach mad, so I confessed and repented and then came back. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit kept saying, simplify it down, simplify it down, simplify it down. This may surprise many of you, but I have no problem talking about things. But I've also learned that usually the most powerful things in the kingdom are usually the most simple things. We just kind of grow up a little too much and think that can't possibly work. The simple things work. So the simple question I felt like I was supposed to just put in front of us today from the Holy Spirit is this. I'm going to ask you to put your eyes on it. Is my church family going to decide to actually love one another or not? Now I'm going to ask that we leave that up there for a second and invite all of us to just look at that. Ask the Holy Spirit even now to do some search work on our hearts. Is my church family going to decide to actually love one another or not? Um, if you grew up in church, do you guys remember that old hymn? It's a good one. The uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. I hear some singers. Come on. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Y'all sound good. Doesn't that just feel good? It's like the old hymns just hit different. The truth of the matter is, though, I think many of us have turned back. And I don't mean like turning back is not, oh, let me just go and completely deny Christ and live in debauchery now. Turning back means turning back from any other way that is not the way of Christ. And the way of Christ is love. Number one way of Christ is love. Jesus did not mince words when it came time to talk about love and love for one another as brothers and sisters. Go read John 13 through 17. Oh, some of my favorite portion of all scripture because it's some of Jesus' last words while he was here on earth. You should go read the whole thing. John 13 through 17, it's Holy Week. I promise it will bless you. But one of the main things that he talks about, one of the most powerful, is in John 13 Verses 33 through 35. Look at the words of Jesus, y'all. He says, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, 
but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world. Everybody say proof. Come on, one more time. Everybody say proof. Your love for one another is proof to the world that Jesus Christ came. A few things to note here. One, Jesus refers to them as little children. How many of you have kids? I know you do because I've seen kids spring. Y'all are in love. Good job. Um. But how many times, you know, anytime I'm hanging out with my friends' kids, I'm looking at Tara and Riley right here. You know, they help pastor the Anderson campus. And every time it's like, hey, be gentle. Is that how we talk to your brother? Hey, be kind. Hug each other and say you're sorry. Yeah, you're laughing because many of you are parents and you know what I'm talking about. How much like kids are we? So often the Holy Spirit just like, hey, be kind. Hey, be gentle. Is that how we talk about your brother? Hug each other and say you're sorry. So like kids, I've been wondering, like, what does it mean to love just as Christ loved us? Those words are important in that scripture. Just as Christ loved me. Just as Christ loved me. So this isn't going to come up on the screen or anything, but I just wrote down, what does it mean to love one another just as Christ loved us? And I'm going to read these slow. And actually, if you're taking notes, I'm going to invite you to not take notes. I know, crazy. But just as I read this section and let it be, just wash over us and ask the Holy Spirit to search us as I read these, okay? So what does it mean to love one another just as Christ loved us? It means that I will go first in forgiveness, period. It means that I cannot say I love my brother and hold hatred toward my brother at the same time. It means that I will fight for unity over winning any argument, even if I am indeed right. It means that I will cast my bitterness at the throne of God and invite the Holy Spirit into the healing work of my heart, even if there will be no healing of relationship. It means that I cannot say I love the church and not have a desire to get to know different members of the church family. It means that if I am living in a constant state of suspicion toward a person or group of people, that I am living in a way that opposes love. It means that I am willing to sacrifice my comfort my plans, my possessions, and even my life for those around me. It means that I'll be willing to lay down an offense if it means that I can take up a cross. It means that I will invite people into my life who are nothing like me, who disagree with me, who vote differently than me, who are of a different race, gender, socioeconomic background than me, so that we may all share in the work of God's kingdom come. That and so many other reasons are what it looks like to love just as 
Christ loved us. And it's that last sentence, joining with people who look nothing like us in order to see God's kingdom come. And that's how we're going to end today in remembering like they remembered. Because that's what the table of Jesus looked like. That I just talked about in John 13, that I'm about to read about in Luke 22. Jesus and his disciples celebrating the Passover right before he's about to go to the cross. And I know many of you may have heard, heard this, but think about this table. Gather around this table are a tax collector who would have been absolutely hated by the Jews, considered a traitor. A zealot who hated traitors and would have been radicalized to overthrow the Romans. A thief and embezzler who would end up betraying Jesus. A doubter, poor Thomas. Some fishermen and the son of God. And it is around this table with this group of people that Christ teaches them and so teaches us how to participate in a very strange, very unusual, very unordinary family. Y'all look at this in Luke 22, 17 through 20. It says, and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You know, Ephesians 2 that we read at the beginning may as well be a commentary on Luke 22. Because what Jesus was showing, what he was signifying is that his blood was about to break every barrier to peace. It was about to break every barrier of division. For a believer, the blood of Christ does not just make peace with one another possible. It makes it our priority to fight for unity with one another. You know, I don't know how in the, like, generations of church history, like, the Lord's Supper started changing. Like, I don't know when um, wine went to Welch's. I don't know when, like, that fresh unleavened bread went to like that kind of stale cracker. Um, and I don't know when we stopped sitting around a table to take the Lord's Supper and started doing it in aisles looking at a person on a stage. Because that's not how they would have taken it. As Jesus was doing this, he would have been looking at them in their eyes. And Paul would have been, excuse me, Paul wasn't there. Peter would have been looking at James. James would have been looking across the table at John. Jesus showing them, you're supposed to do this eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder, committing to me and committing to one another. I can picture years later as they're taking this again around other tables. Probably doing a lot like they were with Jesus. Eating, laughing, teaching one another, learning, remembering. I could imagine then they break out the wine and the bread that would be used for them to remember. And they just started remembering. I think John probably told the story again through laughter of how he beat Peter to the tomb in a foot race. Because that's what he does all throughout John because competition, you know. I bet Peter through tears remembered how Jesus reinstated him into the ministry on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I bet they shared unknown stories 
that we don't know anything about because it was just for them as they were walking along the road with Jesus together. I also imagine that before they took it and Bartholomew's looking across the table at James that at first he has to confess because I can't remember Jesus and hold bitterness towards you, James. I confess and say I'm sorry before we remember this together. This is family uniting with family through the blood of Jesus as we remember together. Church fam, this is still our call and our holy ordinance to get to participate in. So we're gonna do that together today. Eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder, remembering together that because of Jesus, he's made a way to the Father and to one another. So let's do this together. I'm gonna pray for us and then someone at your campus is gonna lead through communion. And we're gonna remember as we head into this week of remembering. I'm gonna invite you, don't rush past this. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to do some work in our hearts today, fam, okay? And as we pray, I'm actually gonna pray the prayer of Jesus in John 17. It's a pretty good prayer. Don't think I can do better. So if you will bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm gonna pray this prayer of Jesus over us and then someone will be out at your campus to lead through communion. Father, I agree with Jesus now. I do not ask for those only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe that we may be one just as you, Father in Jesus, and Jesus in you, that we also may be one, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you gave Jesus has now been given to us, that we may be one even as Jesus and the Father were one. Now he and us and us in him. Oh, Father, that we may be made perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent him and that you love us just as you loved Jesus. Jesus, right now we just say we agree. Make us one. Have your way now, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.